0: Going through the book of Romans, at least a little bit. Romans is huge. Romans is a tremendous book. I love the book of Romans. Um, but uh, we're sort of getting to the end of the book this week. Actually, not a book, of course, right? Um, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. But think about that, you guys. This, most of the New Testament was just written on scrolls or parchment or whatever. But you think about Romans, 16 chapters... Like, how long that letter would have been. And yet, there was no chapters, there were no verses. It was just a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Um, so, Castellan, put, I wanted him to, to develop a series before we were done with this school year. And uh, so, he'll be wrapping it up next week. Um, this book, like I said last week, written to a very sophisticated audience. It is this very detailed explanation of how we as sinful human beings, can stand before a holy and righteous God, right? To do that. And so God is the judge. We established that week one. Kesselon kicked off the series. And if God's the judge, then it's not our job to be the judge. And so the second half of chapter 1 in Romans, like all of chapter 2, first half of chapter 3, sort of unpack sin in its various forms. Sort of blatant sin, self-righteousness, moralistic religion. And then uh, chapter 3, we were in last week, sort of fleshes that out. But sin is this huge problem for us, um, huge problem, our biggest problem, and what do we do about it? And so because we're sinful and because God is holy, we're separated from God, right? We talk about this every week, but how can, how can, we, how can we be made right with him? And so it's as if we're... So the whole point, Kesselon used the imagery of like a courtroom. And my trial is not talking about my trials, like my hardships in life, But what if you were on trial because of what you've done and how you've behaved and how you've rebelled against God? And God is on uh, the podium. He's the judge. What would that be like, right? And there's numerous scripture we talked about that at the end of our lives, that's what it's going to be like. We're going to have to give an account to God of what we've done in the body. And we may either go try to list off all our good deeds, and he'll be like, Sounds like you're doing it on your own. Or we'll say, I I have nothing on my own. I plead the blood of Jesus. He was my sacrifice. He died in my place for my sin. Nothing in myself. There's no reason you should accept me. But so, is that all it is? So the question is, how are we justified before God? That was a topic last week. Just a quick review. And we said that the answer is, how are we justified by the free grace of God? That again, Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Because he was perfect, spotless, and he, could, he was worthy of dying for Ben's sins. And I couldn't die for Ben's sins because I have my own sins to pay for. But Jesus was perfect. So this week and next week, we're skipping to the end of the book, like I said. Um, chapter 12 this week. I think next week, Kessalon, uh, chapters 13 or 14 or 15, or both of those. And uh, we're going to talk about the practical outworking for our lives. Um, how does this news of free justification change us inwardly? That's tonight. And then next week, how does it impact others? That's next week. Um, so to stick to the courtroom theme, if God's the judge and we're guilty or we're sinful, we're declared not guilty because Jesus is our substitute. What? Is there a sentencing? No, there's no set- Basically, it's this. We're released. We're set free, right? And all, I mean, in numerous places in the book of Romans, especially chapter 8, talks about we are set free from the bondage of sin. We're free from the penalty of sin that weighs us down. So tonight we're going to be in Romans 12. If you have a Bible, if you have an app, would you, would you turn there? This chapter is so one of my favorite chapters in all, of Bi- in all of the Bible. We could do a whole series out of just this one chapter. And so, um, man, I don't have the time tonight to do this chapter justice. But if you have an app, go there. We're going to dive into Romans 12 tonight. Um, three things we find here in Romans 12. If we're declared a verdict of not guilty before God, it, we get three things. So I'm going to go over them one at a time. If you're taking notes, the first thing is this. We get a new identity, a brand new identity, and an absolutely unique identity. The gospel gives us a new identity. So this, I'll be brief here. So Romans 12, 1 through 3, these will be on the screens too. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so God has been so merciful to us, uh, lost my place, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, and actually the Greek there is like as a living dying, like a sacrifice was, you know, you sacrifice something to be a substitute, but literally it says offer your bodies as a living dying, like as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So let your bodies, let your whole, let your, let you make yourself a sacrifice to God. He sacrificed his body for you. Offer your sacrifice. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So there should be a marked difference for every Christian, right? Compared to people in this world that aren't Christians. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. But what? But be transformed. How? By renewing your mind. What goes on in your mind? Your thoughts and your feelings. But for the Christian, your thoughts and your feelings are renewed, should be renewed. It's possible for them to be renewed. That you have different thoughts and feelings than your non-Christian friends. Have you thought about this? That when you're with them and you know you should be with them because you care about them and you, you care about their eternal state, but you go, I think differently than girl does than this guy does because we're transformed by renewing our minds and Paul writes then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will we have a totally unique identity but it goes on verse 3 for by the grace given me I say to every one of you and this is huge do not think of yourself more than you ought to don't become proud and arrogant or conceited don't be a self righteous Pharisee Don't think you're better than other people. That's literally, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober there, that word means accurate. Think accurately about yourself. You guys, you all, you could think right now probably of a Christian who thinks a little too highly of themselves. You guys, I sort of grew up in that paradigm. Like it was a little bit like look down your nose at non-Christians. You're more moral than they are. You behave better than they do. You're not doing all the, like, blatant, obvious sins that they're doing. Like, you're just better than them. It wasn't a distinction. It was never really spelled out to me how much. But thinking of yourself with sober judgment also means don't think too low of yourself. Because I had that same problem. Christians talk about being humble. Because when I was growing up, I thought being humble meant, like, thinking less of yourself. Sort of beating yourself up and up it was like telling yourself that you suck, you're worthless, like I just, no, I'm a horrible person. And you tend to try to play up your sins because you thought you were somehow better by doing that. You guys, humility is not thinking less of yourself. I love Tim Keller always says, humility is thinking of yourself less. It's just having an accurate, a sober view of yourself. So being a Christian gives you this unique self-identity, and so you can't have a superiority complex or an inferiority complex, right? Nobody else has that. No other worldview offers that. We can't feel superior to others. Why? Because I am just as sinful as the next person. I am just as sinful and rebellious and wicked, my heart is, as the non-Christian. I can't be any better than them. I can't feel self-righteous or superior to them. We also can't feel inferior to others. Why? Because Jesus died for you. Even you, like Jesus, he died even for me. Like, yes, he died for everybody, but he died for me. Like, let that sink in. Say that. I mean, you just go, wow, so I'm loved by the God of the So I can't feel too low about myself either. I can't beat myself up. So the gospel gives us an entirely new identity as Christians. The second thing is this. The second thing we see is spiritual gifts. That the gospel gives us gifts to use To serve others. And I'm sure you've probably heard about spiritual gifts before. You've read about them maybe um, somewhere else in the Bible, 1 Corinthians. Verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though there's many of us, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If then serve. It, uh, then, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, like a, it's a spiritual gift to give. That may not just be money; it may be time and talent. But to give, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So different kinds of gifts in many ways to serve. And I think this is talking about in a church setting. Now, again, not every church looks like our church. There's a million different ways and models that churches look. But church, at its core, is people. It's a group of gathered Christians, right? Church is not a building. Church is the people. But this is talking about using them to minister to others, to serve others. And so, if it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. So many of you guys do this. In fact, you're better, so many of you, than adults at just serving. Last time we counted, like 75% of Oasis but serving in some capacity on Sunday morning here at Brookside. You guys, that's incredible. And if you're serving, that when Mandy, our children's director, comes to me, I'm literally like, I don't have any other names for you. Like everybody that I can think of that's regular and that's like always at Oasis, everybody is serving. Um, but there's all these different ways to minister in the church. I want you to notice two things about these abilities, two things. Number one, a middle of verse six, every, every Christian has these. It says, given To each of us, according to the grace given to each of us. So everyone has these, but then secondly, our gifts are different. Literally, again, verse six, we have different gifts. So everyone has them and they're different, just like members of your body. There should be no passive Christians, be no unemployed Christians, like serving each other or the world around us. Um, every Christian has a role to play, like I said, just like the members of our bodies have a role to play. Now, this list of spiritual gifts, that's not exhaustive, and there's like three or four other places in the New Testament that list a whole lot of spiritual gifts, saying like, do something, serve in some capacity, and if you have the opportunity to teach, you should try teaching, but certainly you can serve uh, in multiple ways, you can encourage, you can give, you can lead, you know how to show mercy to people, um... And, you know, if there's, I don't know what there is, two, three million Christians on the planet. I don't think that means there's two million different spiritual gifts out there, but it's unique to you. And so, no Christian uh, should come to church just to give, just to get and not give. Just to be poured into and not to pour out, right? Now, we see that all the time, and that's because we've made church consumeristic, and sort of entertainment-driven. In some ways, that's not bad. You know, we're going to have this, like, attractional style, maybe. But man, at the root, if you're a Christian, there should be no, like, I'm, gonna, I'm here to be served, but not to serve. Because Jesus didn't do that, right? He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so there should be no passive Christians. It also means, on the other hand, since we have different gifts, every Christian is as unique as a snowflake, That's your unique wiring is as unique as a fingerprint, right? And that somebody needs your spiritual gifts. You have certain gifts and abilities and talents that are only going to reach certain people. And you'll, you'll lean into that more as you get older maybe, or as you get to college and start to learn a little more. But you have a unique wiring that can reach somebody. And I probably can't reach that person and so, they, people need gifts that only you have. There's an adventure out there for all of us, but we have to serve. We have to use our spiritual gifts, we're going to experience it and, um, and sort of live the Christian life to the fullest. By default, and I fall into this, we just become consumeristic, right? And it's like, come to church just to have goods and services. Come to the service and get your spiritual needs met. And in fact, then we get angry when our spiritual needs aren't met, and we're like, I don't like this church. I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go to where my… But we have this, we have the totally backwards mindset. We shouldn't just come to take as well. Finally, the third thing is this loving actions. That the gospel gives us us a heart bent on new loving actions. That we become humble and sacrificial because we have a new motive. You guys, there are a million different motives that you will have to obey, even your mom and dad at home. And many of those are like, like, I don't want to disappoint my parents. And I'm literally afraid of what my dad's going to say if I don't do X, Y, or Z. At some point, fear is not going to be a good motivator. At some point when nobody's looking, even though you've been trained your whole life to do the right thing, when nobody's looking, you're going to do the wrong thing, right? Because that's not a motivation. Christianity gives us a brand new motive to obey. And so the rest of this passage, look at this, starting in verse 9, this passage is so practical. Like, we could do, again, we could do a whole series just in 9 through 21 here. I'm going to read it. Love must be sincere. Like, each one of these is a gold mine. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. So that's the first paragraph. Um, all about, this is my own paraphrasing, a genuine servant. If you want to like outline this, that first paragraph, all about being a servant, right? So we got to be genuine in our love, be devoted, honor one another, um, like keep our passion hot, keep your spiritual fervor, be joyful, be patient. You know what we like to do? Our default mode is And complain. And we go home to mom and dad and we complain about everything. Like, I have kids, you guys. And you're just grown up version. I mean, I have a 10 year old, so she's getting there. But you got, that's just what we do, right? Our default mode with mom and dad is to grumble. This says be joyful and be patient and be faithful in prayer. Be a servant. Practice hospitality. How do you do that as a high school student? There's probably a million ways. Maybe you can't have a stranger come sleep at your house, but. Maybe you can. Maybe you know someone that needs that. Verse 14, next paragraph. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay, time out. Like, wow. Think about that statement. That's us saying, love your enemies. You know how people always say, or maybe you have a friend that says, like, I'm not going to be religious, or I'm not going to be a Christian, because forget religion. You know what I think? That religions just divide people. And this world honestly it would be a much better place if there weren't religions and atheists say this like all the time. Religions just divide people. No, there's lots of religions. And my comeback is and this is not like it's but what if, I've said this before, what if there was a religion that said to love your enemies, to like actually do good to those that hurt you and that hate you and that want to harm you. What what if that religion existed? incredible religion, oh, wait, oh, that's like absolutely the teachings of Jesus all over the place. Now, how do you do that? Because all of us go, oh, but if they come and somebody punches me, oh, man, it's on. But Jesus is actually saying, and Paul is actually saying, we can become the kind of people that do not retaliate. That our heart is just not in us. And some of us go, no, 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 I want to fight back. No, Jesus is like, bless those who persecute you Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Again, we're jacked up. Get this, my kids, even my kids, and sometimes I've thought, what we like to do is rejoice with those who mourn, or rejoice with those who, and we sort of mourn with those who are rejoicing. What is that about us, you guys, that we sort of like it when bad things happen to somebody at school? And you're sort of like, I kind of don't like that guy, and I'm a little happy about his car accident. Isn't that jacked up? That is so, like, but what if we actually did this? What if we were actually happy with people who were happy and had something to say? We weren't, we weren't jealous. And what if we legitimately were mournful when bad things happened to people? And we're like, I don't even know what to say to you, but I'm just going to cry with you. I'm just going to sit with you. What if we actually lived this out? Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. There it is again. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but be willing to a of low position. Do not be conceited wow, what if Christians actually lived that out? Here's my summary phrase for this paragraph, is that this is all about showing compassion to those outside of your friend group. What if we showed compassion for those that were not in our little clique at school? The person of low position, to that kid, right? You know, today was that like, maybe national like, walkout day, or right? it it's been a month since the shooting in Florida, and uh, I talked to this, this gal on staff, Karen Novacek, today, and she said, um, what if it wasn't walk out? What if it was she heard this from somewhere? What if it was walk up? What if it was walk up to the kid that's a loner and that has no friends, and you said, "I'm gonna be your friend. My name's Christian Bukowski." What if you went up to your teacher and you just said, "Thank you for being a teacher at this school. It's hard, and you got to put up with a lot of junk." Like, "Thank you for being a teacher." What if we, what if we associated with people of low position? You guys, this is huge. This is so practical. You can each one of you can live this paragraph out in some way. Okay, final paragraph it says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. There it is again. We don't repay, we don't repay evil, we don't we don't attack back, we don't retaliate. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I love verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, you can't you can't control the other person, but as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Do not take revenge my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, and Paul, goes back to the Old Testament, quotes Deuteronomy 32, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now let's go back again to that quick little quote. That was from Proverbs 25. That almost sounds like it's saying, be really nice to your enemy, and then suddenly it's going to hurt them, because they're going to, you know, you're going to like kill them with kindness, because they put burning coals on their head. What's that about? Like, here's the deal with that. I think my study, that was actually a sign of repentance. In the Old Testament, if you put burning coals on your head, and they were walking around, it was just this, this symbol of repentance. They would repent in sackcloth and ashes. They would like literally sit in ashes. I don't know if it was burning them. I don't know. It's weird, right? Right. That's what they did. It was like, get really uncomfortable as a symbol of repentance. The thing is, Paul's saying, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And you'll lead them to repentance, hopefully. That you actually care for their good. My summary of this third paragraph is this. It's all about repaying evil with goodness, right? We cannot go out and seeking revenge. Who do you need to forgive? Who, who, where are you holding on to a grudge? But you just need to let God be God, because someday Jesus is going to take care of that that harm that they inflicted on you. And either Jesus paid for it on the cross because they're going to repent someday and turn to Jesus, or at the end of their life they're going to give an account before God in a judgment seat. God's going to take care of it, and we don't have to hold on to that. You guys, we all have junk in our past. Something that somebody did to us, maybe in our family, maybe it was a friend. Some of it, like, deep, serious stuff. Doesn't mean doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean you should go and maybe be best friends with that person anymore. But you need to let go of it. Legitimately give it up to God. So the conclusion here, we, we, when we get set free by Jesus' sacrifice, when we're freed from the trial, when we're let go, and Jesus says, come down, you're free, we get three things. We get a brand new identity, an absolutely unique identity as a Christian, you guys. We're given spiritual gifts, and we're given a heart that produces. So again, just from this final section that I said is so, I mean, this whole section is application. But which of these three do you need to work on this week from this final section? That You can practice hospitality around your house, among mom and dad and your siblings. Or secondly, that you need to show compassion and kindness to somebody outside of your friend group. You know who that kid is. I remember just saying hi to that, that really shy loner kid in my high school. It made all the difference for him. It seemed to. Or thirdly, do you need to forgive someone and stop seeking revenge, but just release them of that, even if it's someone you don't even talk to anymore? So think about that right now. Um, I'm going to pray just real quick, and then I have one more here at the end. Heavenly Father, um, God, thank you for just how practical your word is. So God, so much in Romans we've seen sort of just the layout of your redemption, God, that sin is a huge problem and yet you, freely, you sent Jesus to, to stand in our place to live the life that we, should have lived, that we should be living and he died the death that our deeds deserve, that our sins deserve. And you paid the ultimate price for us so that we don't have to die. So God, we're wrecked. We're, we, don't, we owe you our lives. God, we owe you everything. You offered yourself to us and so God, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice want you to be my master. I want you to be in control of my life. So God, help us to live these things out. And God, it's hard and it takes practice, but God, can we train our inner character to be like you, God? And to come and to willingly serve, not to be served, but God, help us to naturally pour out um, love into our enemies and sometimes not to retaliate when harm is done to us. God, help us to live radically different lives as Christians. And we need your help for that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.